Welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. My name is Paul Matthews, and today it is a real pleasure to bring you this conversation I have with Derek Sherman, or of course, as my Dutch ancestors would have called him, Derek Sherman. Derek is a professor in computer science at Calvin University. He's a committed Christian and is an expert in issues relating to faith and computer technology. Today, I'm bringing you a discussion about one of the year's hot topics in education. It's artificial intelligence and what it means for schools, teachers and students. Now, there are a lot of voices in this space, but Derek is a seasoned campaigner who has thought through these issues with wisdom and diligently applied a biblical worldview to technology and machine learning. Now, some of you may be sick of hearing about AI. I don't blame you on one level. But to those of you, I would say this. We've often heard it said that we teach the students we have, not the students we want. Well, by extension, actually, we teach in the world we have, not the world we want. Like it or not, AI is actually something educators will have to wrap their heads around. And I sincerely hope this discussion helps you do that. Know that before we hit record, we prayed for you. We ask God to bless you as you listen, and that through His Spirit, He would be training and equipping you to act wisely, whatever the role you play in education. Well, Derek Sherman, welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. Well, our eagle-eared listeners will already have detected notes of an accent there. Derek, can you tell us a little bit about uh, where you're coming to me from right now? Well, I'm seated uh, at Calvin University in Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, but it's not necessarily my uh, my original home. I, I hail from Canada and grew up and uh, actually had most of my working career in Canada thus far. I've been at Calvin for about six years now. Fantastic. And we know Calvin University, many of us over here in Australia, through Dr. David Smith. So oh, he yeah. is a, a regular <laughs> in the Christian education circles. Yeah. Uh, tell me, what are you teaching at Calvin? I'm a computer science professor and uh, teach basic courses in intro to coding. I teach a course on the Internet of Things, a more uh, upper year course. And then I also, my favorite course is a capstone course for uh, computer scientists, which is a multidisciplinary um, sort of exploration of philosophical, theological sort of issues related to contemporary computing uh, issues and concerns. So, um, so that one is, is probably my, my, my favorite course to teach. Look, it's not good to have favorites amongst your children, but it is absolutely <laughs> good to have favorites amongst your subjects. I teach yeah. year 10 history and I teach a bunch of other stuff, but year 10 history is one of my favorites. Okay. Now, Calvin College seems to be a really interesting place because of course, if you look to the United States, almost every university started as Christian, and then there's just been considerable mission drift over the years. But it seems to me, at least from an outsider's perspective, like Calvin has actually resisted that mission drift quite well, and he's still distinctively Christian. Would you say that's a fair assessment of the situation? Yeah, I, you know, as um, as someone who works here and sees things from the inside, where you know, I, there's a commitment to their founding mission. It's it's not even just generically Christian. It's you know, a reformed Christian uh, emphasis, and uh, and that is exercised in every in every discipline. We're all expected to integrate faith and learning, and uh, and we also have wonderful colleagues here. Um, you know, people like uh, Nicholas Wolterstorff um, and Alvin Plantinga are, are former Calvin professors who are long retired now. But people like David Smith that you've already mentioned are wonderful conversation partners in in the in the mission of. Uh, 
of Christian higher education. And you're right, historically, I guess you're more of a historian than I am, but, you know, there's books like The Dying of the Light that talk about how these, you know, universities begin with a Christian mission. You know, oftentimes they sever ties from their founding denomination. They sort of try to expand the umbrella and they sort of lose their way. And um, there's this, uh, I think, um, lessons from history that we can all learn from about how, how, how universities can lose their way. And I pray that we do learn those lessons because it's a conversation we're having in Australia at the moment, not so at a tertiary Mm -hmm. level. So we don't really have, we've got a a Catholic university, but that's just about it. We don't have a lot of Christian universities, so it's a different space over here. But we are, of course, having that discussion around schools because there are certain times every now and again, and you can almost set your watch by it, you know, the government will hold the fire to the toes of Christian schooling as institutions, which, of course, over in Australia do receive government funding. So it's okay. a it's a nuanced situation. But that's, of course, not what we're here to talk about today. Right. I want to talk to you, Derek. Your area of expertise uh, is AI, and you've written some great stuff about AI in the August edition of the Christian Teachers Journal. Now, you're a, you're a veteran in this field, really. Most of us. AI just exploded into our consciousness at the beginning of the year, but it actually didn't catch you by surprise. Can you tell us a little bit about your background in AI and machine learning? Yeah, um, I'll go back just a wee bit further than that. I grew up sort of during the personal computer revolution in the 1980s and sort of um, cut my teeth on some of those early computers and, uh, and just delighted in coding and electronics and sort of the possibilities of all of that. Um, and went on to study electrical engineering. And I worked for a while in industry, but then went back to do a PhD because I felt a call to teaching in higher ed. And, um, and my PhD was in computer vision and robotics, uh, which was a, a field that I had done some work prior in. Um, and um, <clears throat> um, the traditional sort of form of robotics, you know, sort of relies on doing, you know, very, very cumbersome camera calibrations, then, you know, sort of literally performing all of these 3D to 2D projections inside of a camera and these sort of complex computation on features and so on. And it was a very, very cumbersome sort of way of doing computer vision. And at the same time in the lab I was working in, there were folks who were using a different approach, you know, rather than creating all the geometric equations for, uh, for, for, for computer vision, they were simply grabbing a whole bunch of training images, showing them to a machine learning algorithm. And then that algorithm, surprisingly, was able to identify similar images um, later on once the training phase was complete. It could actually provide pretty accurate uh, measurements about the position of a robot uh, just based on appearance, you know, by, th- by going through these trainings. And, uh, and it, it fascinated me. It certainly seemed a much more clever approach to doing computer vision than, than, than you know, going through all of the um, elaborate computational sort of geometry that you need to do and calibration that you need to do. So, um, so I was attracted towards that and began to learn a bit about machine learning. This was about 20 years ago. So um, um, uh, quite early, uh, not as early as AI's beginning, of course, which which dates back to the 1950s, sort of the the, the early era of of computing and people like Alan Turing and Marvin Minsky and so on. But um, <clears throat> the, uh, the 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 early 2000s, when I was doing my PhD, there was a, a lot of work being done on things like face recognition and whatnot, and I felt a little bit. Um, 
uh, hesitant to take on an application like face recognition because it seemed to me there was a lot of possibilities for uh, invasion of privacy and abuse and so on. And so I, um, I instead used uh, use some of these machine learning uh, algorithms in order to control uh, robot position. And later on, I, I did some more research after I completed my PhD uh, with students uh, on using machine learning to um, actually recognize recyclable goods for sorting of recyclable goods so that that could be automated um, uh, better than, than, it, than it currently was. So, so that was where some of my work began. And of course, fast forward to sort of the present day, um, modern machine learning algorithms are based on, um, on, on deep neural nets. Uh, back when I was working on them, I was working on, on things called principal component analysis and support vector machines. They're, they're still used, but they're, um, uh, they've been largely displaced by these deep neural nets that, that you'll find in things like ChatGPT and so on that people are, I'm sure, familiar with. Well, that's a fascinating backstory because what I see there, Derek, is your faith in action. For many people who don't have a, an all-of-life vision for Christ, what they would often say is, well, how on earth... I mean, I understand if you were studying morality or ethics. Yes, of course, Christianity would speak into that. But there's a crystal clear example of Christianity speaking into your uh, career trajectory within artificial intelligence and machine learning. You're going, okay, we've got some um, stuff with facial recognition could potentially be used for nefarious ends. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually going to look at a really redemptive application of machine learning here and go into recycling and exercise my duty as a steward of God's creation within my field of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Is that how you were processing this along the way? Yeah, to be honest with you, um, <clears throat> um, when I was working in industry, I, I, um, I didn't have the benefit of a, of a Christian college education. Um, and I went to a large tech school. And so I didn't have many tools to connect the dots. I had an instinct that my faith ought to speak to all of life, including my engineering. But I, I didn't have the tools to connect the dots. Uh, you know, the question was, what do bytes have to do with beliefs? And I knew that there must be some connection. And it took me, you know, a number of years to sort of begin to become fluent in thinking and, and uh, about that clearly. And honestly, when I became a Christian scholar, when I became a, a Christian college professor, um, it was part of my job description. I had to integrate faith and learning. That was the expectation which was something I welcomed, but uh, it took a number of years of, uh, you know, uh, faculty development and being mentored by um, wiser, older faculty, uh, by reading deeply and, and thinking about these things that I began to connect the dots. But already as a PhD student, I had this instinct um, that, you know, I need to think about more redeeming applications for the, for the technology that I was developing. Um, and, um, and since then, I've, I, I've been thinking more and more about the implications of a, of a biblical worldview for, for AI and for technology in general. And that's where we need our sharpest Christian minds in positions <clears throat> of teaching like yourself, people like uh, Dr. David Smith. We've got many mm -hmm. on our own shores here in Australia, even many within my own school, Calvin Christian School. We really need uh, committed, intelligent Christians in education roles. Because I often say it, and many of my friends are pastors, and they're not too happy with me for saying this. Yeah. <laughs> but I think in many ways, the job that we have as educators is almost one or two clicks more difficult because it's not quite as simple as uh, reading a passage 
and expanding upon that passage, digging into it and applying it to life. We actually start with something like World War II or machine learning. And then we have to take the whole scope of God's revelation to us in the Bible. And we have to understand our topic in light of the scriptures and then make our application. It's very difficult, very heady stuff. And that's why I'm grateful, as I said, for people like you, Derek, and Dr. David Smith and others, because we need people to do the intellectual legwork for us. Otherwise, we do what you did in your university degree and I did in my university degree, which is take a whole lot of information and receive it unquestioningly, not necessarily discerning the worldview foundations mm. from which it is coming. So as I said, I'm very, very grateful for you and for your institution for that. Yeah. Let's, to let's be fair, it. I mean, to, pastors have this idea of having to shape people in a world where they're misshaped in so many different ways. But yeah, the, the special job of a teacher then is to, is to take the gospel message and figure out what its implications are for all of life, which, which, which is a challenge as well. Um, you know, once we're shaped by the church and the gospel story, the question then is, how then shall we live? And as teachers, right, how then shall we teach? And, uh, <clears throat> and so, yes, that, that is a very challenging um, task. And, uh, and, yeah, that's why I'm grateful for uh, clever um, and wise um, sort of colleagues like David Smith and, and, and others that can help us kind of think more deeply about that. Absolutely. Very grateful to God for those, for all our pastor friends as well. We need <laughs> as many people in these sorts of jobs yeah. as we can get. And now let's consider AI. As I said, you've been in this space for a while, Derek. Most mm -hmm. of us haven't. There are some people who are full of sort of unbridled optimism when it comes to AI. They say it'll solve every problem. We'll all be all right because of AI. Other people are actually right on the other end of the spectrum. They're filled with fear. They're filled with pessimism and a deep sense of foreboding. Uh, so you've got people on either extreme there. What do you think the Christian worldview has to say to both of those people, Derek? Yeah, I, I think both of those <clears throat> both of those extremes sort of represent different um, different pitfalls that we can fall into. You know, seeing AI as sort of the uh, magic bullet to solve all of our problems um, is uh, is a kind of technicism, which is sort of a trust in technology to solve solve human problems. Uh, and on the other side, of course. You, you see technology as, as sort of the, the main problem um, that we have to have to overcome. And the Bible, I think, um, is is unrelenting in its in its claim that um, that, you know, cultural activities or technology, uh, we could say, is neither the savior nor the villain. Um, right. And so when, when we look at technology within the lens of a of the biblical story, creation, fall, redemption, right? We see technology as an AI as sort of part of the, the possibilities in creation. And of course, with the fall, we see, you know, the, 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 the implications, right? All of creation is groaning. Our cultural activities are tainted by sin. We sort of misdirect um, sort of the good possibilities in creation. And we, we sort of reap the, the consequences of that. Um, so, yeah, on one hand, you have sort of the utopians who, who kind of have this trust in technology. On the other hand, you have sort of a more perhaps postmodern view that views technology with despair. Um, <clears throat> and, of course, it, putting technology within the larger biblical frame um, sort of puts it in its place, so to speak. Let me run this idea by you, and I'll take your temperature. You tell me what you think. 
there's some theologians out there who say we have this inherent propensity as people to try and find sin in the things itself. So we, we try and look for sin in the <coughs> laptop or in the gun or in the technology in question, in the artificial intelligence. Uh, in reality, the problem is actually not in the technology itself. You know, the gun didn't do anything. It's the person who was using it. The computer didn't do anything. It was a person who was using it. In many ways, technology seems like a mirror where it's just simply reflecting the, in some ways, the duality of man. We are made in God, God's image and capable of great creativity, yet we're also broken and fallen and sinful and, and capable yeah. of doing wicked things, even as creatures. So, I think as Christians, we need to understand it's not the thing itself. Um, it's actually the person using it. And even as Christians, even those uh, to whom God has given his Holy Spirit, we still find within ourselves um, impulses for good and impulses yeah. for evil. And that's why technology will often keep letting us down uh, is because whatever piece of technology we're using, we're the ones using it. And yeah. we are the ones who have this uh, mixed and mingled nature within us and that's why we keep getting mixed and mingled results out of it would you agree yeah. with that yeah so I, I would um i would sort of expand on that you know the, the the whole creation is groaning right we read in in romans 8 and so we, we we don't really know what's happened to the creation itself but certainly the human heart uh has been impacted by sin and that has an impact on all of our our cultural activities you know i i think of proverbs I think it's 24 verse three, right? You know, that we have to guard our hearts because everything you do flows from it, you know, and that includes our technological activities. And yes, users have a very uh, profound responsibility when they pick up a tool for how they use it and how it'll impact their neighbor and the creation and so on. Um, <clears throat> but since I'm teaching computer scientists, I'm also very cognizant of the fact that the way a technology is designed, the way a tool is designed, um, biases the user to use it in a particular way, right? By using a particular technology, we're nudged in a particular direction. Um, so the tool itself doesn't have uh, autonomy or volition or, or whatever you want to call it or moral agency. Um, but the design itself encourages certain uses, encourages the user to use it in a certain way. And so when I'm teaching my computer scientists, I'm always having them think about the fact, well, this technology is not neutral, right? It's a... Uh, uh, it's not good. It's not bad. But neither is it neutral. You know, it's uh, it has an impact on 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 the wider culture. And so I, I encourage my students to think about the cultural implications, the social implications, the um, sort of all these sort of normative aspects that fall out of sort of Christian philosophical thinking. The justice implications, the stewardship implications, you know, the faith implications, because these cultural artifacts are, are come laden with these sorts of values and they can be directed more towards obedience to God or away from God. And, uh, and yeah, the, the reason for that is sin. And uh, technology, I think, uh, just to put it you know, in, 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 in short, um, amplifies our ability to be, um, uh, to, to be sinful or to, or to do good, you know, in, in a lot of ways. It's interesting if you read Neil Postman, he would, yeah. I mean, he's been banging on about this for a long time, and yes. I think with great wisdom and clarity, and he would talk about technology as not being additive, but being ecological. ecological. That's the change, yeah. yes. Not, not additive change, so it's not like we've just got the whole workbench and one extra tool. Um, it's, right. It changes the environment. Uh, yeah. the, the metaphor I used when I was, so I, I will be 
giving a keynote at the Tasmanian Christian oh, Education cool. National Conference on artificial intelligence. And look, you tell me if you think this metaphor is a bit too on the nose. <laughs> but the metaphor I use with teachers, especially teachers who are parents, they understand ecological change. I say, imagine um, we've got two big cities in Tasmania, Launceston and Hobart. I'm down in Hobart. It's a two-hour drive. If you're in the car with your family and you've got your toddler in the booster seat, now say, uh, say things don't go as well as you plan and, and they have a dirty nappy. It's not exactly the same car you had before plus <laughs> one small dirty nappy. It is an entirely different car at that point. That's the ecological change. Everything yeah. about that experience has changed. Uh, yeah. Postman himself uses water, a cup of yes. water, and a drop of red dye. Yeah. Right? So the, yeah. Whole, the whole thing has changed. Yeah, you don't have a drop of red water. You don't have a drop of red dye and a glass of water. You have a whole new substance. It's like unleashing a new species into you know a forest. Who knows what's going to happen, right? There's all these complex sort of interactions. So that's why it's not neutral. And in fact, I, I have my students read some of the classic sort of media ecologists, you know, the Neil Postman and, um, you know, Marshall McLuhan and, and, and Jacques Gillal. We're, we're all sort of, I think, ahead of their time, kind of prophetic in a lot of ways, ahead of their time um, in, in sort of pointing us to some of the issues, the way that, well, in their era, it was largely television. But when you read this stuff, you go, wow, this, th this really applies to our new world of digital technology and, and Internet communications and AI. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, the medium is the message. And, uh, and the same thing is true when it comes to our modern digital tools. The Christian Education Podcast is brought to you by Teaching in Tassie. At Christian Education National Schools in Tassie, you can make a difference. You have the freedom to express your faith and values, of course, with Jesus right at the centre. Tasmania's beautiful environment has space to breathe. We have amazing food and wine, wilderness to explore. There's an adventure right on your doorstep. There are endless opportunities. I've got to tell you, it's almost perfect. To sign up or learn more, visit teachingintassie.com.au and you'll be the first to know when there's a career available. Who knows? It may just have your name on it. Let's get back to the discussion. One of the things I love about the article you've written for the Christian Teachers Journal, Derek, is that you actually made me feel far more confident as I approached AI. Because when we approach this technology, it can seem so artificial that we get squeamish. It seems so foreign. And as artificial is in the name, isn't it? However, mm. in your article, you're actually arguing kind of the opposite, that AI is actually a part of the uh, quote-unquote latent potential in creation. I wonder if you could unpack that idea for us a bit. Yeah, I, I actually get that. That's a ringing phrase, the latent potential in creation. I, I get that from uh, the book Creation Regained by Albert Walters, which I think is a classic Christian worldview book that's been really influential for me. And um, <clears throat> I used to work with Al Walters at Redeemer College back in, in Canada. Um, and, and I found that really, really helpful um, um, to think about creation in a bigger way. Creation's not just, you know, fish and plants and stars and trees and, and these sort of natural things, but creation really is all of the things that God has ordained to be. And that includes all the possibilities in creation, all the cultural possibilities in creation, 
um, you know, like cuisine and fashion and music and, and, and all these sorts of things. And also technology. I, I think it's, it's no surprise that early on in Genesis, we already see people, you know, forging tools, you know, tubal cane, and um, sometimes they're misdirected, right? We read already about the Tower of Babel, but we also see how God used the, te- you know, the technology of the ark to save Noah and his family and, and animals. And, and so it's, it's part of the, yeah, it's part of the possibilities in creation. So when people, you know, ask me the question, is technology good or bad? I, I always kind of shy away from that and say that's kind of a false dichotomy the question is you know it's part of creation but how is it directed you know is it being done in obedience to god and our call for um to care for the earth and to love our neighbor or is it being directed in some other way um and so so yeah thinking about uh technology as part of the latent potential in creation i think puts it within the biblical story and we can see its role uh relative to um, you know, our calling as Christians, it also puts it in the context that, yeah, it's not the savior nor the villain. It's a part of creation. And it's something that we're called to, to use responsibly and to unfold. That not the savior or the villain line is mm-hmm. really helpful. And I think if there's Christian teachers who take just one line away from this conversation, I really do hope that that's it. It's interesting yeah. you mentioned the latent potential in creation. <laughs> I was reading on this subject recently and the theologian was effectively saying, look, if we're to take Genesis 1.28 seriously, that's the dominion mandate, or some have called it the cultural mandate. So mm-hmm. we're having dominion over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and over the ground and everything that moves over it. If you're going to have dominion over the fish of the sea, you're going to need a boat, right? If you're going to have dominion over the yeah. birds of the air, you're going to need a plane, right? If you're, going to, if you're going to have dominion over all the earth, well, you're going to need shoes to get up the mountains. You're going yeah. to need wet weather gear, cold, cold weather gear, warm weather gear, all this sorts of stuff. Yeah. So the, the point that this theologian was making was that it's not as if tools are detracting from our humanity. Right. You actually can't fully express your humanity without them. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think it's no surprise that there's all these creational possibilities because when, when we look at the sort of scope of our calling, these tools can be put directly in service of, of that calling to love our neighbor and to care for the earth and its creatures. Um, I, I think that those things go hand in hand. And when we evaluate new technologies, I think that's one way to look at them is to kind of say, is this helping us to fulfill the calling that we have obediently? You know, is, is this, does this fit within that framework? Um, another thing I've heard said before too, is that phrase in the, um, Genesis 1 verse 28, to fill the earth is not just to have lots and lots of kids, although that's, you know, one part of it, I suppose, but, but it's also to unfold all of the creational possibilities, right, is kind of the understanding of the filling of the earth. And technology is one of those wonderful possibilities that we're called to unfold responsibly. Well, that's just about all for us today, Derek. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear your insights into these things. Let me give you uh, this question, and this is an important one. If people want to get more Derek Sherman in their lives, if people (laughs) go, wow, you know, this conversation has blown my hair back. I love this guy. Where can people go to uh, read or watch or listen to more of what you have done in the past? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I have a webpage at Calvin, a personal webpage that folks could go to, sites.calvin.edu slash Derek, D-E-R-E-K. 
Um, and there's also two books uh, that I could pitch really quickly. I, I wrote a book about faith and computer uh, technology called Shaping a Digital World by InterVarsity Press. And more recently, uh, a book um, I co-authored with, uh, with two other fellows uh, called A Christian Field Guide to Technology for Engineers and Designers. And that's written for folks who are actually creating technology um, and how to think about how to do that in a way that shows love for neighbor and to do it responsibly. So, uh, so th- those are two other resources I could, I could mention. Fantastic. Well, it has been enlightening talking with you, Derek. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for uh, you giving us your time and intelligence over the last half an hour or so as you unpack many of these things that we can be quite squeamish about as, as Christians. So it's my earnest prayer that you and this conversation have really equipped teachers to be able to approach technology well. Hey, listen, tell me this before I let you go. If you, uh, if you were to get a little email from me in the six months or so to come back on the podcast, is that the sort of thing you'd be interested in? Absolutely. No, I really enjoyed this. It's kind of really neat to, to sort of get a sense that the Christian school movement and Christian educators is a worldwide movement, right? I, I'm often speaking to educators uh, closer to home. And so this has been a real treat to be able to, uh, to be able to speak with Christian educators on the other side of the globe. So absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Derek. Well, look, I do wish you God's richest blessing uh, for yourself and the rest of the faculty at Calvin throughout the rest of the year. Thank you very much. And same to your listeners.